Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Welcome back to 1 Corinthians. Grab your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 11. We're moving into a new chapter, which as you've heard me say before, Paul didn't write chapters. They're just sentences and paragraphs for him. But we may be moving into a new topic. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, because this is one of the most difficult places in Corinthians to preach. A friend of mine, one of our elders, Larry Heron, was on staff at a church in Texas, and he tells a story about someone asking his senior pastor, oh, you know, Dr. So-and-so, what, what do you do when you come to these difficult passages of Scripture? How do you preach them? And his response was, oh, that's easy. You don't. That's an easy way to avoid these difficult parts of Scripture. But we don't have that luxury when you preach like I preach, which is you start at the beginning and you move through. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, all the commentaries that I read, and I read a lot of them in preparing this, you know, they all begin with something like, this is a really hard chapter to translate, especially this first half. This is a very difficult to understand what Paul's argument is here. And so we'll talk about that. I'm going to read the first half of chapter 11 to you. Then we're going to talk about what the issues are. What don't we know? What are the problems? And then we'll talk about, well, what do we know? What can we do with this? How does this matter to our lives? Because the scriptures tell us that All scripture comes from God and it's all profitable. So how is a passage that is very difficult for us to understand gonna be profitable for us today? So follow along with me, read with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to read the first 16 verses. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions, just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. (laughs) Okay, Uh, the first question we have to ask is, is this a new section or not? You know, normally in the past, I don't know if you remember, but Paul has told us usually what the issues are. He said, now about the matters you wrote, now about marriage, now about virgins, now about meat sacrificed to idols. In chapter 12, he'll begin with, now about the gifts of the Spirit. He signaled to us that he's answering their questions. He doesn't have that signal here. 
is this a new section? It certainly seems like it. It doesn't seem at all connected to what came before, all about a believer's freedom, you know, what you can and cannot do, what you can and cannot eat, how you should be more concerned about what happens to other people than necessarily what you are allowed to do. This looks like something totally different, but then why hasn't he told us this now about the issue of head coverings or, or something like this? We're, we're really unsure if this is a new section or not. Because if it is, then we would interpret it one way. And if it isn't, we'd interpret it another way. We also have an issue with this word head. Did you notice how many times he spoke about head and how it seems to mean different things? In Paul's world, in the language he's speaking of, they use head very similar to the way we use the word head. It can be your literal head, the head on top of your body. It can also figuratively mean the idea of subordination, like we speak about the headmaster of the school or the head of a department. It means they're in charge and the other people are under them in the organization. It can also have the idea of source. And we use that in English today when we talk about like the headwaters of a river, meaning the origin, the source of the river. Where do the, where do the waters start? It can mean all those things in Paul's language. And he seems to be playing with its meaning. When he says at the beginning, the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, the head of Christ is God. Okay, probably he doesn't mean this head. But does he mean head in sense of like authority, right? The authority over every man is Christ. The authority over woman is man. The authority over Christ is God. Well, okay, yeah, I mean, that could work. Or does he mean source? Does he mean that man comes from Christ, woman comes from man, and Christ comes from God? Well, we could make that work as well. And notice how he seems to be using it in multiple ways. Every man who prays or prophesy with his head head covered dishonors his head. Well, the head covered probably means this, right? But he dishonors his head. Does that mean he dishonors his, like the physical part of his body? Or does it mean he dishonors like Christ is the head of the man? Either he dishonors his authority or he dishonors the one that he comes from, the source We don't know. He seems to be playing with these words in ways that that we're just not sure of. And when Paul says covered, he says, you know, for a man prays or prophesies with his head covered, but a woman prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, it might not actually mean covered. If you have a Bible that does footnotes like I do in my NIV, this is another one of those cases where there's a huge hunking footnote because this whole thing can be translated differently. There's a perfectly good word to have something that, that covers over your head and Paul doesn't use that. And there's a perfectly good word for hair, but Paul doesn't use that either. Instead, what he literally says is, every man who prays or prophesies having something down on or down from his head. And he says the same thing for the woman. Now, if he means something down on, then presumably that's some sort of covering. But if he means down from, then that's probably talking about the guy's hair. It could be either one. And so again, I've got this big footnote that says, you know, another way to translate this is every man who prays or prophesies with long hair dishonors her head. it could mean that as well. Every time you see covered, it's either down on or down from. It could be either. And there's no way to tell. Normally, context and whatever it is we're talking about would tell you which he means. 
And here we're into that same problem that we had last time when we were talking about marriage. We don't know the context. We don't know what he's talking about. Something's going on in this church. He's clearly referring to something. He even begins with, you know, I'm really proud of you for listening to the things that I told you, but, and then he's gonna go on to explain. There's something going on in this church that we don't know what it is. And I'm confident they did. Like he doesn't have to be specific about saying, oh yeah, I'm talking about like a, you know, a veil or a shawl or a hat or, 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 or something like that. Or, oh no, I'm talking about hair. He doesn't have to be specific because they know what it is. Maybe he's even sort of playing with what they wrote to him. Maybe he's parroting something back. He doesn't say he's quoting them, but maybe he is. We just don't know. The most straightforward way to translate this is the, what, what the NIV has done and what I read, that if a man has a covering on his head, something down upon his head, then he dishonors his head. But if a woman has something down upon her head, or she doesn't have something down upon her head, then she dishonors her head. That is the most straightforward way to translate this. But then what do we do when we get down to verse 14? Why does he suddenly start talk about long hair and short hair? And he's using the words for hair there. We don't know. Like if what he's talking about is hair length, then verse 14 makes sense, but other parts of it don't make sense. If he's talking about, you know, wearing a prayer shawl or something, then parts of it make sense and other parts of it don't. We don't know their situation. And so we're really, really not sure how to interpret this. And unfortunately, that's not all we don't know about this, this passage. You know, Paul speaks about the, um, uh, you know, does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? Well, what's long hair? I mean, in Paul's world, Romans tended to wear their hair pretty short, like we, like, like I have at the moment. Um, but the Greeks tended to wear it longer. Like we have statues and we have frescas and we have paintings on vases and we have murals and all sorts of things from the ancient world. We have lots of pictures of men and women in the ancient world. We know that the Greeks often had shoulder length hair. Now the soldiers would often cut that off because you don't want long hair when you're going into battle. But if you're not in the military at the moment, the Greeks often wore their hair much longer. The Romans often wore their hair cut quite short. So what's long hair? Like a woman having long hair in his world probably means down to her waist or more. Is, does he mean that like, like literally it has to be as long as whatever they thought the length was? Or does he just mean this in terms of whatever your culture is? Boy, we really have no idea. And what does Paul mean? Does not nature teach you that? Well, the natural world does not teach us that females have long hair. I have a male dog and a female dog at my house. The female dog doesn't have longer hair than the male dog does. I, I don't know of any mammal that is differentiated by long hair versus short hair. It, 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 that doesn't seem to be nature. And among the Jews, there was what's called the Nazarite vow. It's from the Old Testament. And in that vow, a guy didn't cut his hair. Like as long as the vow lasted, one month, six months, a year, two years, however long he took that Nazarite vow, he didn't cut his hair. And it looks like from Acts, Paul took that vow at least once 
So there was a period of time where Paul was letting his hair grow. What does Paul mean by nature? Again, presumably they knew exactly what he was talking about. He even says it to them. Look, judge for yourself. Don't you know that this is true? He's talking about something that they understand, but they don't. Back in verse 10, Paul says, it is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. That's a pretty literal translation of what Paul says, but it's not very good English. For this reason, a woman ought to do this because of angels. Is that the same thing? Is the reason the angels? And what does it mean have authority on her head? If you're reading another translation, it might say something like a sign of authority on her head. Because as translators, they they have to maneuver it. They have to massage it a bit to make it into English, to make it have sense. What does it mean for a woman to have authority on her own? Is Paul saying, oh, she is able to do this? Or is Paul saying she's not able to do this? Boy, we just don't know. And finally, if you have footnotes, you might also notice that everywhere it says men and women, it will be footnoted that actually that could be husbands and wives. In the language that Paul is writing in, the word for man, meaning male, and the word for woman, meaning female, they're the same word as husband and wife. They don't have separate words for those. And that's true in a lot of languages. We actually do that ourselves. At the end of a wedding service, I pronounce you man and wife. What, I'm pronouncing you, you're a guy, you're male, oh, but she's married? No, of course not. We mean husband and wife, but that's not the way we say it. Lots of other languages do that. When we spoke French, the word for woman in French is also the word for wife. It's not any different. Whenever you see man or woman, it could also mean husband and wife. And normally, when you see them together, it always means husband and wife. Just like if we say, you know, man and wife, right? Obviously, man means husband in that case. When you see man and wife together in the Bible, we usually assume it means husband and wife, or man and woman, husband and wife. And yet in this case, he seems to be speaking much more generally than that. Paul's talking about something that we don't know. And so we're in that same position we were in a number of chapters ago on marriage. Like, what do we do with this? So what do we know about what's going on in the world at this point in time? What are the possibilities of what Paul is saying? So if we were to take this just simply and literally, that Paul is saying, guys, don't cover your head when you pray. Women, do cover your head when you pray. Or maybe, guys, you need to have short hair when you pray. Women, you need to have long hair when you pray. Whatever short and long means, because it meant different things to Romans than it did to Greeks. If Paul's saying that, that's a strange thing to say. Like, he talks on and on to women about the need to cover their head. The thing is, women always covered their head in this culture. You know, in every culture everywhere, there are parts of your body that it's okay to show, and there are parts that aren't. So here, look, you're looking at my hands, right? They're, they're totally uncovered. That's fine in our world. There's nothing scandalous about that at all. But there are cultures where you don't show your feet to people. Like, that's not okay. There are cultures where you don't show behind your knees to people. That's not okay. In this culture, women cover their hair. You don't show your hair outside your family. And there's still cultures like that today. That was normal for them. So why in the world is Paul saying to women, hey, 
you who, you know, you're, you're normally covered whenever you go out. You would expect every woman in church in this world to have a head covering on it. Women often wore a shawl. And so they would just, you know, they just pull that up over their head. You've probably seen women do this. Like, you know, when it's raining out, people take their jackets and put it up over their heads. That, that's what women would do in this world. Or they, they could put on a veil or something like that. But again, we have lots of sculptures, frescoes, murals, paintings on vases, all sorts of stuff. Women in public, they, they've got a, a shawl or something over their head. So why is Paul making such a big deal about, hey, women, you definitely need to cover your head. I mean, that's like somebody saying to me, you know, hey, Jeff, you definitely need to wear clothes when you preach. You know, this whole thing of preaching naked, we're, we're not okay with that. Of course they were covering their head. <laughs> what is scandalous about what Paul says, if we take it literally about a head covering, um, is that Paul's telling men not to cover their heads. In Paul's world, in the Greco-Roman world, both the Romans, the Greeks, the Jews, you always covered your head when you were doing religious duties. It, it was a, a sign of honor and respect towards the deities. You absolutely covered your head. It, the, the emperor, the original emperor's guy named Augustus, there's statues of him all over the ancient world because you know he was the emperor, so he made a lot of statues. His head is uncovered normally. But when he's got on his religious robes, because as the emperor, he was the Pontifus Maximus. He was the high priest of all of Rome and all of the Roman Empire. When he's wearing that, his head is covered. He's got a shawl up over his head because you always cover your head when you're going before a God. When you're worshiping, when you're doing something, you're offering something to the deity. If this is to be taken like literally, it's just about covering your head. The scandalous thing in their world that Paul's saying is, guys, you need to uncover your head. Like when Paul said, women, you need to have your head covered, everybody in Corinth would be going, yep, of course. When Paul said, men, you need not to cover your head, like, like that's scandalous. You can't do that. that that's, that's disrespectful. That dishonors your God. So maybe Paul's not doing it literally, right? Maybe there's some situation going on here with this culture, kind of like the things we've talked about before, how there are these two camps over whether you can eat meat sacrificed to idols. And, and there, there seem to be a lot of cliques and things in this church. They seem to take offense easily. Maybe there's one camp, you know, we've had, Paul's quoted them a couple times. I can do anything. Everything's permissible for me. Maybe there's one camp where, where you know, the women are kind of like, hey, you know what? I know I have to wear this when I'm outside, but here in the church, like this is family. We're all brothers and sisters. So since I'm family, I'm gonna uncover because that's what I would do in my house. Maybe there's a whole bunch of people, maybe men and women, who knows, who are saying, absolutely, women don't have to wear their, their shawls in here. This is family. Maybe there's another group that's saying, no, don't, that, that's crazy. Like that, no one is ever gonna feel comfortable in our church. Remember, he talked about that. You give up your freedoms to, to, so that people are comfortable. You give up your freedoms so it's not a hindrance for people to come to the gospel. Some commentators think that's what Paul's saying, that, that you got a group of people in the church who are like, no, this is family. You can take off your shawl. And Paul's saying, look, if any visitor comes into your church and sees all these women sitting around without shawls on, they are gonna head for the door because this is bad, right? Like something bad is going on here. If none of the women have on their head coverings. Like that's just crazy. Again, we don't know. We just 
don't know what Paul's talking about. We don't know whether he means this to be taken literally. We don't know if there's some issue going on in the church. And the commentaries are all over the board. And the funny thing is, you know, I'm reading guys who are writing in like the early 100s AD all the way through to the modern age. The guys writing in 120 AD, they don't know what Paul's talking about. I mean, they're not, they're like 70 years away from when Paul lived. We're talking about something that happened in the 50s for us, right? Well, it's the, it's the 50s for the, Paul's in about 55 AD when he writes this. Guys writing in the mid-120s, they're not that far away and they're not sure what he means. They don't understand what he's saying and that just follows all the way through all the commentaries, We just don't know. God hasn't preserved that situation. He didn't have Paul tell us exactly what he was doing. So, like, what do we do with this? What do we do with scriptures that we we don't understand? Again, we're not even sure how to translate some of this. Is this something on your head? Something down, your hair hanging down from your head? Is it something else entirely that we don't get? That's why he doesn't simply say veil or hair, either of which he could have, and he doesn't. He talks about something down on or down from. What do we do with things that we don't understand in the Bible? Now, let me be clear. These are things that we don't understand. They're not things we don't like. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that I don't like. God says a lot about me and how I should act, and I don't like it. I don't like scripture telling me all sorts of things about myself, but we obey. When the scriptures tell us things we don't like, but it tells us clearly we obey. But there are things that, that for whatever reasons, God has not spoken definitively. Like he, he hasn't explained this. He never did. Guys, 70 years after Paul didn't know what he was talking about, and 2,000 years after Paul, we still don't know. The first thing we need to do in these situations is have a lot of grace for one another because we are going to interpret this very differently. Christians solid Christians who love Christ and love the scriptures, you could come to wildly different conclusions based on this passage. You could decide this means that women need to cover their head. And if you decide that, then amen and blessings on you. If you think, oh, absolutely, as a wife, you think I need to cover my head or as a husband, you talk with your wife, you're like, no, I I think this is what you should do. That is a perfectly reasonable way to read this. Now, remember, it's cover your head while you're praying or prophesying. It's not just cover your head everywhere, although, of course, you are free to choose that as well. There are Christians who are going to choose that. I don't think this is what the passage means. Hence, I don't ask my wife to do that. But we can't judge each other. Paul's talked about that over and over in this letter. Like, we stand before God. Our judge is God. We don't judge each other. We don't make it hard for each other to be Christians. If that's what you think, then blessings on you. Some people take this to mean hair, and they think that women should have long hair and men should have short hair. And if that's what you think this is about, blessings on you. Obey it. Do what you think the scriptures say. And again, I don't think that's what it means either because I'm not insisting you know, that my wife wear her hair down to her waist or anything like that. So Word of Jeff, right? I think Paul's talking about something going on in this church. Maybe like women taking off their shawls and freaking out visitors. I don't know. But I think there's something in here going on so that it probably doesn't apply to us. But I could be wrong. 
I may stand before Jesus one day and he'll be like, Jeff, why didn't you have your wife cover her head when she was praying? I, I, I told you to do that in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And I will have to apologize to the Lord for that. And I'll have to apologize to you for not telling you flat out. But I don't think so because I think if he wanted that, he would have been a lot more clear. Most of the scriptures are very clear. I think it was Mark Twain that said, uh, you know, it's not the things I don't understand in the Bible that bother me. There's plenty of things in the scriptures that we do understand just fine. We just need to obey them. So how is this passage helpful for us? Because that's what the Bible says. All scripture is profitable. Paul just said before, remember, it's all been written down for us. He'll say that in Romans as well. Why has God written this for us? How's it profitable for us today? I think that one thing, or it's actually more than one, but one idea that we can absolutely say this passage teaches us on is the idea of gender. You know, gender is a hot topic in our world today. And so I find it encouraging that there's a passage that seems to speak pretty clearly about gender. Now, again, I don't know the situation and I don't know what the specifics mean, but I do know there's some pretty clear things taught in here about men and women. And as always, the Bible has such a more nuanced such a more complex and such a more balanced view of topics about humanity than most of humanity does. You know, oftentimes we end up just in two polar opposite camps. And that's kind of what is happening with the issue of gender in our world today. And as always, what the scriptures say is so much more nuanced. So what does Paul tell us about gender that, that we can say, okay, whatever else he's saying about the specifics, He's definitely saying this. I see Paul saying three things about gender and they play into how we view gender today because up until now, up until recently, let's say the modern West, before that, all over the world, everywhere, you had what we would call the traditional view of gender. And the traditional view of gender said that men and women are different. They are completely different. They have different spheres, they have different roles, they have different responsibilities. Women do not come into men's world, men do not come into women's world, they are separate. And usually it also said men are above women. It's hierarchical, traditional view of gender is hierarchical, very separate, separate spheres, and that's the view that was in the Roman world when Paul wrote this. You know, men were above women, men had their world, women had their world, you really didn't interfere. Husbands and wives might talk to each other, but that's pretty much about it. Men did not intrude on the women's domain in the home, women did not intrude in the men's domain elsewhere. The traditional view of gender says that men and women are completely separate. And the modern Western view, the more recent view of gender, and really, it's just in the Western world, says, no, 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 men and women are the same. There's no difference between men and women. They're interchangeable. They can do exactly the same things. They have all the same strengths and weaknesses. They have all the same abilities for anything. You could take a man and substitute a woman. There is no difference between men and women. And we've taken that so far in our modern world as to say that basically gender doesn't exist. We, the modern Western world says gender is a human construct. It doesn't actually exist. You decide what your gender is in the same way you can decide what you want to be, your career. 
You know, career is not part of nature. Nature doesn't say, oh, you know, clearly you were born to be a fireman. Clearly you were born to be a school teacher. You choose, you develop it. It's up to you. Our modern world says men and women, they're exactly the same. And so you can choose whatever you want. In other words, we have two diametrically opposed views of gender. One that says men and women are completely different and one that says men and women are completely the same. And as always, the scriptures will not affirm either of those. It affirms part of both. So I told you three things I see here. And the first one is Paul says that men and women definitely are different. Like he quotes from Genesis. Did you notice that when he's talking about that woman came from man, man did not come from woman. He's referring to the Genesis creation account where we're told that God made man and then he said, nope, he needs a helper. This isn't good for him to be alone. He takes a rib out of man, makes a woman and brings her to him that God created gender. It says that in Genesis, that when God made humanity, he made them male and he made them female. That the scriptures absolutely speak of men and women being different. And clearly, Paul is talking about differences, right? Whatever he means, head covering, hair, something else going on in the church, clearly men and women are to be treated differently. Men are to do one thing, and again, I'm not sure what that is, and women are pretty much to do the opposite. Not, again, not sure exactly what that is. But clearly, Paul teaches there are differences. So our modern view of gender that says, oh, men and women, there's absolutely no difference. The scriptures won't affirm that. But did you notice that the scriptures do affirm that there are places where men and women are the same? And it's what he says right at the beginning when he talks about in chapter, in verses four and five, a man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Those sentences are, are identical. They're word for word the same, except for the phrase about covered or uncovered. Like Paul says, men can pray and prophesy. Women can pray and prophesy. Functionally, men and women are the same. Men have the right to pray and to prophesy. And, and I think he's probably talking about in the church, right? I don't think he's talking about, you know, praying in your mind or anything like that. He, I, I assume he's talking about this in community, out loud, in front of people. Men absolutely have the right to pray. Women absolutely have the right to pray. Men absolutely have the right to prophesy. Women absolutely have the right to prophesy. In other words, that traditional view of gender that says, nope, men and women, totally separate spheres, they never mix, right? They're, if they're, they're two diagrams, that, two circles, they, they, they touch, but they never cross over. And the scriptures say, no, that's not true. Here's an area where they cross over. Both men and women can do these functions within the church. They can both pray and they can both prophesy. The difference isn't about what they're allowed to do. The difference is something about how they have to dress when they do it, how they have to comport themselves. Again, I don't know. There is a difference when they do it, but they are both allowed to do it. Do you see how the scriptures are so much more balanced either than our modern view that says, oh no, there's no such thing as gender. Men and women are identical. Or the traditional view that says, oh, men and women are completely separate. There's nothing the same about them. The, the scriptures say, no, there's truth in both of what those saying. Both of those ideas hold some kernels of truth. But as always happens in our world, they get pushed too far away. And I think that's what the evil one loves to do. Gender is God's good gifts. There are ways in which men and women are completely the same. There are ways in which men and women are totally dissimilar. And Satan wants to get into that 
and shove us to the extreme. Either shove the parts that they're the same and say, no, everything's the same, or shove the parts where they're different and say, no, everything's different. He wants to push us to extremes that the scriptures won't let us have. Because what do the scriptures say about men and women? They're interdependent. And that's what Paul says, that you know, man is not independent of woman in verse 11. The woman is not independent of man. They are interdependent. The first woman came from a man. And since then, every man has come from a woman. And it all, Paul says, it all comes from God. But it's not that men and the women are identical, nor are they totally separate. It's that they're interdependent. They're made by God. So there are things about them that are the same. Their dignity, their worth, made in God's image. There are roles that they can both function in, praying and prophesying. And there's things about them that are very different. Again, whatever Paul means by this difference between men and women when they conduct these roles, the scriptures speak about gender in such a more nuanced and such a more balanced fashion. And that's how we should speak about gender because gender is a huge issue in our world today. I mean, our world is going nuts over gender and its inability to say anything good about it. We're trying to completely get rid of it. We've pushed that so far off to one side. And scripture says, no, the modern view is not correct, but it also says, no, the traditional view is not correct. We as believers, we have a chance to speak into that. We have a chance to affirm our modern view. In the places where it says men and women are the same, we say, yeah, you're right, there are places where they are the same. They're both made in the image of God. Right? God made both men and women. They both have these roles that they can function in. A woman can pray and prophesy. A man can pray and prophesy. There's no difference in these areas. And we can affirm the traditional societies that say, oh, men and women are very different. Different spheres. Like, yep, absolutely. Scripture says there's things about them that are different. But then we also, we also need to bring in to both these positions that The people who say there's no such thing as gender and there's no differences, yeah, the scriptures say there are. And the people who say that's totally different and there's there's nothing about them that are the same said, no, no, clearly there are things that are the same in scripture. We need to be like the scriptures. We need to be balanced. We need to help either of the sides to see the, the truth in what they're saying and also to see the places where scripture does not affirm this. Because, you know, so often we are tempted to get pushed to either side also. We're tempted to get pushed to one extreme or we're tempted to get pushed to the other extreme. And many times we'll react. When people around us go to this extreme, we go to the other one. Or when they go to this extreme, we go this way. We need to say what the scriptures say, that there are many ways that men and women are very different. And there are many ways that men and women are completely the same. And that we as Christians, we affirm that. And yes, brothers and sisters, if you attempt to be nuanced, if you attempt to be balanced, I guarantee you, you will get pushback. But look at what Paul says in verse 16. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Paul knew he was going to get pushback on this. We as Christians, we can speak into this reality. The reality that today our culture doesn't know what to do with gender. We've rejected the traditional view, which is wrong. Men and women are not entirely 100% different. And we flung ourselves over all the way to the other side to say, no, they're 100% the same. As believers, we need to speak the truth. You need to not be afraid to speak the truth. You need to expect exactly what Paul expected. He was going to get pushback. 
But I think that's a way that this passage helps us. So I'm gonna pray that over us. Tons of stuff about this passage I don't understand, but this I think is clear. Like Paul is clearly saying these three things about gender. There are ways men and women are very different. There are ways men and women are completely the same. Either way, they're both created by God. They're interdependent. We are not independent of each other. We are interdependent with each other. I'm gonna pray that, 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 that God will speak to you about that. That if you have places where you can speak to others, the balanced view of scripture, where you can affirm people in either of those camps for the way they're correct and encourage them to believe what the word of God says. And I'm gonna pray we have courage because I know that's hard. And I know we're gonna get pushback from that. So pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You invented this. You invented men and women. And of course, because that's a really, really good thing, then the evil one comes in and tries to do all he can to destroy it. So Jesus, I pray for us as a church. I pray for your followers that we would not fall for his schemes to try and push us to one direction or another. We would not fall for the modern lie that men and women are interchangeable. And we wouldn't fall for the ancient lie that men and women are completely, totally different and their spheres never touch. I pray, Jesus, that you would work in us the truth of at least what I understand this passage to be saying, even in, in spite of all that I don't understand. I understand this much, that there are ways that men and women are the same, and there are ways that men and women are very different. And, and Jesus, help us to speak that truth. Help us to affirm people in the places where they say what Scripture says, and help us to gently challenge and correct them in the places where they don't say what Scripture says. And Lord, give us courage I know our world has become so polarized on this issue that both sides are going to hate us in some cases for not affirming that they are 100% correct. But give us courage to do what Paul is doing, to speak into a delicate situation where he knows there's going to be contention. He's well aware that what he is saying is going to ruffle feathers, but it's truth and he needs to say it. Give us courage, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.